Content warning. This series contains mentions of mental health issues, suicide, sexual abuse, and other sensitive subjects. This is your host, Andrew Pledger, and this is Surviving Bob Jones University, a Christian cult. I believe in the inspiration of the Bible, both the Old and the New Testaments, the creation of man by the direct act of God, the incarnation and virgin birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Episode 14, Christians' Reactions to Survivors. Hello, everyone. I am so, so excited to have Eric Skorzynski from the Preacher Boys podcast. I was on his podcast over a year ago talking about the IFB and about the fashion show controversy at Bob Jones. You definitely need to check out his podcast. It really covers the independent fundamental Baptist movement. But I wanted to have him on today to talk about Christians' reactions when survivors come forward about abuse in these religious environments? Because I know, Eric, you have dealt so much with a lot of backlash. But before we get into that, for people who don't know you, could you introduce yourself and tell them a little bit about the work that you do? Yeah, I mean, the short version, and I always say short version ends up long, so cut me off whenever you want. But the short version is I grew up in a ministry family in Southern California. And basically from the time I was born to the time I graduated high school, I was spent seven days a week on the same campus. My parents were school teachers at the Christian school I attended. My dad was basically the assistant pastor without the title. So I was there Sundays for services, Wednesday nights, and then Saturday out passing out tracks and inviting people to church. So like everything around my life orbited around that, you know, however many acre campus in Southern California. I grew up there. I loved it. I had no reason to question anything. And around the time I was in 10th or 11th grade, Predator was relocated from another church in Northern California to our church. And I happened to Google his name, found out before anybody else. And as I started going to leadership within the church, I just got met with a lot of responses. You're just being bitter, let people move on. It was very confusing for me because I grew up in a very black and white kind of moral environment, like you're either right or wrong. And I was faced with a situation that was clearly wrong, but all the people who were the arbiters of truth and right in my circle were on the side of the guy doing the wrong thing. So that was confusing. I ended up Signing up for Bible college, never ended up going, took an internship instead, which is one of the best decisions I've ever made because I don't have to be on the survivor side of the BJU podcast and ended up leaving. I was in ministry for a couple of years, just ended up leaving because of a ministry mishap and ended up really just starting the podcast as something that I talked about from the time I graduated high school. I want to share these stories. I want to expose this stuff. These things keep happening and happening. And when it got to a point, it was like critical mass overload. Like I decided to just pull the trigger and do it because, you know, see the need, take the lead, as Paul Chapel would say. So, yeah, that's kind of in a nutshell, the story. I can expand on any of those points, but that's like the 60 second recap. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And I didn't know the specifics of that part of your story, but I am so, so glad for the work that you do with the Preacher Boys podcast, because I remember when I was expelled from Bob Jones in January of 2022, my friends, oh, you know, there's a podcast that's just about the independent fundamental Baptist. And I'm like, How? like, what? Like, I need, yes, please. And I think I, it's so important to shed light on these religious institutions that cause so much harm. And that's the thing about the independent fundamental Baptist movement. What's so dangerous is like in the name, they're all independent. There's no one holding them accountable. They can do whatever they want. And no one knows what happens behind these closed church doors until people start coming forward and really talking about it. And so that was something for me as I've been especially in the beginning stages of playing this podcast, I was aware of a lot of the harm. But once I dug deeper, I was like, oh, there's a lot more here than mm -hmm. I thought. And it's, you know, I'm when I committed to it, I committed to it. I'm like, all right, no. we're going to do this. We're going to release this podcast. So I'm so grateful for the work that you do. But I know a part 
of doing this work is the backlash that happens from Christians, really their reactions to when survivors come forward about abuse. And so I want to dig into just common negative responses that you get. And then I know on your podcast, you covered Shelly Hamilton's post. And I know we'll dig into a little bit of that. But from your experience, what has been some of the common responses you see and reactions you see? And what is really your response to those reactions? Yeah, it's funny because, you know, you mentioned independent Baptist churches are independent, which in some ways is true. There's no board that holds them accountable. There's no, you know, essentially there's no paperwork that ties them all together. But as you know, and as anyone who's experienced that world knows, they're anything but independent. It's such a boys club. There's so Uh many circles. There's, you know, there's the Bob Jones circles. There's the Pensacola circles. There's the Heil circles. And They all kind of bicker with each other, but they all will link arms when needed to, you know, defend each other when there's larger controversy or scandal. And so I say that to say, when we talk about responses for all these churches being independent, now I've dealt with hundreds of different pastors and churches and, you know, congregants for being independent, their responses are all pretty much the same. And the way they deal with these things are pretty much the same. The players involved are pretty much the same. At the very least, they're all using the same lawyer generally. So there's a lot of connective tissue. But the things that I'm hearing regularly are what I've heard since I was 16, 17 years old, which is, you know, be better, not bitter, be a victor, not a victim, you know, which Shelley Hamilton echoed in her post. I've heard that you're creating more victims by talking about this because the abuser's family is, you know, being shamed over it, or he's repentant and needs to be able to move forward. Forgive and forget, cast your cares upon God, not on Facebook, you know, leave it at the altar. Everyone's a sinner. You're no less sinful than they are. Like those kind of things happen. And the one that I get the most is if we shared your dirty laundry on the internet for everyone to see. And look, I have dirty laundry. I've got things that I've done in my life that I'm not proud of. I've got things I've said that you could probably scroll back far enough on Twitter and see something that you don't like. But, you know, are you going to find things that are akin to child molestation, rape, abuse, incest in some of these cases? Like, that's not dirty laundry. You know what I mean? That's something that's in a whole nother sphere. And I think when churches try to level the playing field between, you know, you have some things that you've said that aren't great. And this youth pastor was taking a teenage girl across state lines. We're missing the plot here. And it's doubly strange when you realize that a place like a Bob Jones has students that are expelled for wearing shorts that are too high or wearing shoes that don't look quite right or wearing a blouse that's too low cut But then you see how they handle a serious issue like sexual abuse, and it's not even equivalent. Like Then it's grace and kindness, and I'll never be able to understand why there's so much grace, love, and kindness for predators and so little grace, kindness, and empathy for essentially their prey. It's something that I've not come closer to an answer on after three years of the show. Yes, and kind of back to your point about really – what they would call like sin and then there are crimes they don't they're in in these environments there doesn't seem to be distinction between sin and crimes and for this podcast i for research i read the entire 300 page grace report and required reading reading for this yeah (laughs) and what i saw was there were representatives of bju who claimed in that document that they didn't know that it was a crime. They dealt with it. They thought they were above the law. They could just, the person would repent or pray or whatever and whatever, reconciliation, all these different Christian terms and things. And like some of them claimed, oh, I had no idea this was a crime. And it was interesting to see in some of their report how, oh, well, we didn't know what was happening in the outside secular world. Because when it happened, Bob Jones was not accredited and they didn't have to keep up to date on things like other accredited institutions do. And it's just, oh, it's just crazy. And I think a lot of these, and I know I'm still trying to understand why that happens with the leaders, how like they're so protective. Like I've even seen some reactions online 
with people coming saying that oh like bju leaders are under attack oh they're you know such and such this person they're under attack and it's like what about all that they've done and i think part of it is again they spiritualize the person they put their identity they're like oh they're the spiritual leader they look up to them they're their godly example and so there's definitely instances on this podcast where people are going to hear a lot of things about the leaders they love and adore that are not pretty and the reality is really awful and so a lot of it i think is just they put their identity in it and to deal with cognitive dissonance they just dismissed oh, i don't believe you no that's not true or, oh you're overreacting you're being too dramatic again like you said oh you're just being bitter and it's just and what is just so crazy to me as i've left fundamentalist christianity is what really made me leave is like they are not like christ at all i don't think christ would have shoved things under the rug like i don't consider myself a christian anymore but i definitely enjoy still some of jesus teachings and like fighting against toxic religious institutions like he did with the pharisees that's kind of how my perspective shifted i really started as my eyes open, I'm like, oh, Bob Jones, they're like Pharisees. He's fundamentalist. Yeah. And especially hearing stories of the dean of women telling a girl when she's expelled that, oh, well, you know, your home situation isn't safe. Oh, well, go to a homeless shelter. They'll take you. Yeah. Just not caring for the poor, or the needy, not caring for this girl who experienced assault and all these different things. But yeah. what are some other responses that you've seen? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the it needs to be dealt with in house, you know, and I think that's an important one to touch on. And again, I don't identify as a Christian myself either. And, you know, a lot of that journey, you know, when I started the show, I was and I wholeheartedly believed it. But you start seeing so many inconsistencies. And when you hear conversation about radical transformation and the Holy Spirit changing lives, and then you're seeing that. This feels like I'm reading about Harvey Weinstein, but this is the pastors in not just small churches on the side of the road, like the major institutions within the IFB, it becomes hard to grapple with that. But I say that to say, it's funny that even from a biblical perspective, the way that these churches handle it is incorrect. And when they talk about handling abuse in-house or when they talk about the extreme ones will say like the government you can't trust and there's all the conspiracy side and you know, all that sort of thing. But if you look at like Romans 13, it says, if you're doing what's right, you have nothing to fear. You know, if you do wrong, you should fear because the sword is in the hand of the government. I'm paraphrasing, but it literally is this passage talking about the fact that the sword has been given by God, the sword of judgment and law has been given to the government. So if you're doing what's right, you don't need to fear it. If you are, you definitely should. And the Bible doesn't say the sword is given to Bob Jones University, the sword is given to the pastor in the local church. It's given to the government. And so a lot of times I'll have pastors that say, why are you exposing it? Why aren't you going to law enforcement? Why aren't you doing this? Or why are you going to law enforcement? Why are you doing this? And the truth is like law enforcement should be the first phone call in those conversations. And I've had people who've reached out to me while doing my show, who've said, you know, hey, this happened. And my first two questions are always, have you gone to law enforcement? Have you talked to a lawyer? That's always, and there's plenty of people that to this day have not done the show because they're going through those channels first. And I think that's important. But with the church setting, it's literally, this happened to you. How do we get you, the victim, to be somewhere where you're not going to talk about it? And how do we start restoring the person who committed the abuse? That is the primary focus. It's Get the girl out, typically the girl in the situation, get the girl out, get the abuser into, you know, counseling with a pastor or in a counseling ministry that's run by someone who also mm. was an abuser. Oh, <laughs> so it's yeah. a big sloppy mess for mm. lack of a better word. Yeah. And like, I've just been horrified to hear stories where it sounds like the guy, nothing really happens to them at mm -hmm. all. I mean, of course, there are some instances where it does, but I've just heard like the girl would lose all these, I guess you would say privileges or things that they had. Like they couldn't mm -hmm. be involved with things on campus anymore. They couldn't have leadership positions, but the guy still had all of his stuff he was doing. And maybe they were in counseling. I don't yeah. know, but it's well, just insane. The language that's used for perpetrators nine times out of 10 is he fell or he's fallen. 
Oh so, my god! And or oh, it, or they say, oh, it was a mistake, and it's abuse is not a mistake. That is something that is so annoying to me. It's oh, nobody's yeah. perfect. People make mistakes, and it's well, like abuse is really intentional. This is not just a slip up. Oops, this is really serious. I always say you don't fall into abuse. Like you have to climb your way to a position to be able to abuse. But in the terminology in the Baptist world, when you're saying, "Hey, so and so fell." The first reaction when you hear someone fell is you want to see what tripped them. And so when you're going, hey, this youth pastor fell, and then the church is also pointing to this teenage girl or this teenage guy or whoever the victim is or younger even in some of these stories, you know, when you start teaching this subconsciously that, oh, she's the one that tripped him up. She's the one that ruined his marriage. She's the one that took away his career and his ministry potential. She becomes the villain of the story and becomes the target for any attacks online from the pulpit or from the congregation. And I can't tell you, I mean, there's a large case just recently that I was talking to someone about, and they literally moved her to a different family member's house in a different state because she had gotten into this situation. And the guy who had actually committed the offenses was someone who was like, he ran into another ministry position, waited a little while, and then rolled right back into where he was. It it was a slap on the wrist for him. Yeah. And it's just in this environment, there's just these patriarchal teachings and like the strong emphasis on authority, authority constantly. It's just, again, there is always a power differentiation in these. There's always someone that has that power and control over you. There's never equality in abusive situations or abusive institutions. And that's the thing that I think one of the many things this podcast communicates is there's a lot of inequality of leadership at Bob Jones, whether it's in their dormitories, whether it is in some of their classrooms or different other organizations or things, or just their Bob Jones churches. There's always this person at the top and it's usually in these environments, a very authoritarian leader that is speaking for God. So it's like questioning them is questioning God. So you add that spiritual aspect onto it, which I think just makes it so much more manipulative and controlling because there's this invisible force that, oh my gosh, this is what God wants. And oh my gosh, it's just the, you know, the thing at Bob Jones too is, you know, people are watching you. But again, the other thing is God is watching you and God knows your heart and all of that. So there's this constant like self-monitoring that you really have to do to keep in line and also worried about other people snitching on you. But just for some of the like responses I've seen as I've been doing this podcast, they'll I'll make a video or content about Bob Jones and they'll just ignore the entire point that I make. And they will just say, you chose to go there. That's your choice. And it's, well, well, you don't know my story and not really, but it's just like distracting from the actual argument. And it's, it's just crazy to me how people can not want to hold this institution accountable and be like, oh, you chose to go there. Don't you want to hold them accountable for the abuse? And the thing is, the people who say that, I don't think they've done any research into the darker parts of Bob Jones University. I don't think they have any idea. And and once someone commented something about, oh, people make mistakes, nobody's perfect, they're better now. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, okay, not reporting sexual abuse and silencing mm-hmm. victims, is that's not a mistake. And then they were like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like they had no idea about it. And I'm like, and you know, the Grace Report is one of the biggest scandals. Yeah. And like it was posted in the New York Times about it when it happened. So it's like a lot, there are people that don't even know about that. Or yeah, fake news. It's the New York Times. You know, we gotta. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have any thoughts of any of that? Two things on this. One, I would say the information is so readily available, and one of the biggest arguments I have when pastors say I didn't know is I'm a 28 year old, and everyone always I'm offended because everyone always goes, "You're only 28." I'm like, "Okay, great." I look rough. This is what church abuse reporting does to you. But you know, I'm 28 years old. I started researching IFB abuse when I was 16 or 17, when I found that first case. I found information on, this is how far back I go for some people listening. I was on the fundamental forums going through the chat groups there. I was going through stuff fundies like. 
I was going through, I read the saddest story we ever published that came out in the Chicago, you know, magazine about the Heil situation. And then shortly after that, like the Scott story broke, I kept up with that. Like I was able through the power of the internet, which I know a lot of fundamentalists haven't caught up to yet through the power of the internet was able to quickly find these stories and start really tracking the connections. And I remember as a 16, 17 year old kid, I would literally in my dad's office at the church before service, I'd be sitting there Googling different people. And like, who's this? Every guest speaker we had come into the church, I would Google to see who they were, who were they connected to? What were they, you know, what was their affiliation with the movement? So if you want the information, it's there, especially for an organization like Bob Jones, the Grace Report. I've read through the, I read through that report because that came out around that time. It's easy to understand, easy to grab, like before services you know, once that bubble burst for me, like I was Googling guest speakers, I was finding out who they were connected to. I was checking out, oh, this person's from Hiles, this person's from Bob Jones, this person's friends with this. If they mentioned in the sermon, hey, I used to hang out with this pastor, I was Googling to see who that person was. Like the information is easy for someone to figure out. And I say to this day, like when a pastor who's 50, 60 years old is telling me they didn't know, and I'm sitting there as a 28-year-old podcaster who's using the tool of the internet to figure this stuff out. It's accessible. Like You don't need to get into an FBI database. You don't need to dig into the deep files of the church. Like This is stuff that's out there. There's fundamental forums is where I started back in the day. There's stuff on these like. There's, you know, and now there's the Preacher Boys podcast. There's Surviving Bob Jones University. There's a lot of different organizations, groups, and people who are spreading the news. On the other part that you mentioned, which is you chose to do this, you chose to go here. For me, that's easy. I didn't choose. I was born into it. When it comes to institutions like Bob Jones University or where I can relate to that, to the ministry that I was serving in for several years as an adult, you are choosing, but you're choosing based on the information that you have. You know, and some people you're choosing based on the information you have and you're dealing with the pressure of whoever's pushing you to go that direction. Usually both of those boxes are ticked. You have limited information and a ton of pressure. And the time where you have the least information and the most pressure is when you're choosing a college. And so when you have kids, and I, I don't know if this is your story, but I know it's many people I talk to, your choice is literally, we want you to go to Bible college for if you're lucky, you get the parents say for at least one year for their Bible program. Most are saying you're going to four years of Bible college and even more saying you're going for four years to the college we picked for you, which is Bob Jones or basically wherever they went or wherever the pastor said they should go. And so, you know, the whole argument of you chose this or you chose to go to this church or you chose to go here, it doesn't hold a lot of weight with me. And, you know, I interviewed Jessica Willis Fisher recently. And she talked about the idea of, you know, you should never look to the leader as God. You should never do this. Like you hear that stuff all the time. But then she said, she's, but they can't say they didn't teach you to feel that way throughout your entire life. And she basically said, don't gaslight me into saying that, you know, oh, I looked to that person as God when the church was telling me to focus on Jesus. The church was telling me to focus on the leader and he was our representative of God. And when it comes to finding the information, it's there. When it comes to why'd you choose to go to Bob Jones, like you're, if you're going from high school and typically a Christian high school in the Bible college, when were you ever encouraged to look up the scandals happening at that college? <laughs> when were you ever told? And unless you're somebody like me who saw the scandal happen right in front of him, that's not even crossing your mind. Like I never would have thought to Google a guest speaker until. I saw a cover-up actually happen, and I was lucky that I came across that because it was a tight bubble. There was, It was literally an innocent Google search to say, oh, I wonder why he left his church, <laughs> to then, oh, the whole world's unraveling around me. I love that answer. I know there are different survivors with different experiences, and when I got crap online for, oh, you chose to go there, there are other people that jumped into the conversation, you know, and I shared my experience. And I was like, okay, well, my parents would not support me unless I went to a fundamentalist college. And, you know, the mm -hmm. ones in that list were like Pensacola, Hiles Anderson. I can't remember when I found out about Bob Jones, but I was trying to go to a school that was like legit. I didn't want to come out with a ministry degree and something that was worthless. 
I wanted to get a degree that could help me get out of that environment, you know, but I was expelled, but whatever, and got out that way still. But um, when I talked to different survivors, there were people that told me I had no idea that I had a choice. It's just I had to do it. And there were some people, and I kind of related to this, was I was so afraid to go against what my parents wanted because they were the authority, you know, don't go under that from under that umbrella of authority. And so people literally afraid if they disobey their parents that like God's going to harden them, they're going to be open to Satan's attacks. So it's like that indoctrination and that mind control and really coercive control that happens in a lot of these situations. So it's not so, once you understand that, it's not so easy to say, oh, you chose together. No, nothing's ever that simple in those situations so some other things and i don't know if you want to dig now into the shelly hamilton post because i know there's a lot of good points in there for like responses to survivors coming forward and this post was like literally made like right before the release of the surviving btu podcast which is such good timing but if you want to cover that and share your thoughts on it yeah, for the Shelley Hamilton post, for people that don't know what you're referring to, essentially it was a long post. It's still up on her page, and I've covered it on my show, so you can see it there. Essentially, the post was titled, Be a Victor, Not a Victim. And it gave several different examples. You know, it gave a gave an example of someone that serves in a ministry who had an extremely difficult life. And here's the difficult thing is, like, there are some things on face value of the post that I think are powerful and interesting and like the story she describes the person going through and where they're at now i think it's really helpful good information but the verbiage that's used in some of the examples that are given and mixed in like just don't mesh and it's i was talking to you before we hit record do i think that shelly hamilton sat down and went how can i offend survivors and hurt survivors you know no, I don't think that's the case. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind as we look at these is, yes, the intent of someone's words matter. And But I also, I think we have a responsibility not only for the intent of our words, but for the impact of our words. And so again, some of the things that Shelley said that were particularly harmful were regurgitated messaging that is, again, not new within that world. It's things that I've heard preached in all varieties of settings within the IFB. You know, the be a victor, not a victim. The example she gives, she later said the post was specifically about enduring hardship, or if you had people that were truly trying to show you the love of Jesus, but they were imperfect, forgiving them. And But then in the context of her post, she's giving examples of Ben Carson, which was very funny, like name drop in there, like Ben Carson, whose like dad had a whole separate family he left them for. And it's, well, that's not an example of someone trying to show the love of Jesus, but failing to do their best. That's just someone who's being a jerk, you know? So like, it was such a broad spectrum that I think it, I'm not an overtly cynical person. I tend to look for the most positive reading into what someone's saying. But there was a lot of stuff there. I was like, man, this is just really harmful to people who've experienced legitimate difficulty or abuse within the church. And so, um, but again, I heard, she checked a lot of the th- same things. Be a victor, not a victim. You know, you have a chance to not like, I forget some of the wording of what she said, but basically it was, this happened to you. It doesn't define you. You can You can move on and have a great life. And there's a way to present that message. I think that's not harmful. But Mm -hmm. I think when you start by just invalidating how harmful someone's story was, it's not the best footing to start off on. So again, I think Shelley Hamilton's post is interesting because you have the abusive people in the IFB, you know, the abusive, like the Jack Hiles, the fill in the blank with all the names that everyone's already thinking in their head. And then you have the accidentally abusive language and rhetoric that we hear from these men of God and repeat. and. And I think the next step there, like, it would have been, I think, meaningful for Shelly instead of the post she did follow up with, which was just, you guys misunderstood me. I've been under attack. I think it would have been a lot more meaningful to say, I never intended to harm survivors. I'm vehemently against sexual abuse in the church. I was specifically talking about this, and I'm so sorry that it came across this way to those who have been hurt. That's all that needed to be. And you know what? Like, I think for everybody there's still going to be some people that are going to choose to be offended about things no matter what. There are those people. 
but I think the people who truly were hurt and weren't looking for a reason to be upset on a whatever Tuesday afternoon or whenever the post went out, I think those people all would have said, I disagree with Shelly about probably a lot of things. I really appreciate her saying that. And that would have been perfect. We're great. But instead it was just doubling down and going, okay, you guys are attacking the church. The commenters were all, you know, these are people that don't believe in God and they're coming in here. Like it's, it it turned very quickly into something that it shouldn't have been. Uh, for lack of a better word. Yeah. And like for me, I'm trying to remember how I heard about it. I feel like a friend of mine at Pella Beach used her Viber. She sent it to me and she was like, have you seen this? And I was just, it took, I had to sit a while to come up with my response because I usually don't get involved with that kind of stuff. But when I yeah. saw that and then I was like, no. I, it's hard not happen. to say something about it. I mean, it's, it was mm-hmm. tone deaf. Yeah. It, like at the very, the very best reading of it is this is a tone deaf way to deal with it. Like the worst reading you could have, which I don't have into it, is Shelly hates survivors and Shelly is this. Mm. Like, I don't have that reading of it. Yeah, I'm sure I don't there's think some that, that do. Yeah. It, to me, it was like, this is tone deaf. And what you're teaching is not new. And it comes from harmful people that are intending to hurt survivors and are. So, like, when survivors are telling you that, or when advocates who are in this every day are telling you that, Take a minute to listen and hear that and empathize, even if you don't agree with their religious beliefs currently or their whatever you want to throw in there. I think there could have been a more productive conversation about the topic. And I think what I saw in it is she had that black and white view that fundamentalists really, they all have. So something that I noticed was like the black and white view that she has of people who speak out about abuse. And I'm not going to read the whole post because it's a lot. But in the beginning, you know, it says victim, not victim. And it says, I've heard far too many stories of young people criticizing their Christian homes, schools and churches on public social media platforms. Some go after these institutions with a venom Satan himself would be proud to claim. It appears to be a popular trend once one person starts a rampage of blaming anything and everything god put in their path then another gets on board one person equals two equals four equals eight and so forth and the problem explodes something alone wolf denounces spreads like a plague and starts festering in hearts and minds the ugly virus calls out to young people everywhere so i'm just going to stop there so it's this extreme view of this shouldn't come to light at all we shouldn't be you know talking about this and i think it's an attack it's an yeah, it's attacking people. You know, if you're coming forward, you're spreading venom. You are the problem. If you're coming forward about the problems in these environments. Yeah. But like it made me think of my own parents growing up of how you never speak out against authority. You mm-hmm. obey no matter what. You stay in line. Yeah. You conform. And so, again, it had that kind of authoritarian undertones to it. Like you follow the leader. You do right. not question this at all. Well, and beyond that, too, as you're rereading it again and as I am keep thinking of the post, like – One of the things that I think is a misconception about people speaking out, and again, I truly do think there are people on both sides that I say there people are default fundamentalists, unless you do some kind of inner work, people who are in Christianity and are fundamentalists in that, like politically without doing work on yourself and working on empathy, everybody picks a position and digs in. And we see that right now as we get into the election cycle, you know, you see it within churches. And I see it when people leave fundamentalist churches and go to a progressive church and say, everybody in the fundamentalist church is an idiot and I'm a genius, or people go to atheism. And, you know, I see those people in my comments too that go, well, Shelley Hamilton's, you know, this. We need to be able to have conversations with people we disagree with. But I think beyond that too, Shelley Hamilton kind of expresses a misconception, which is that people are bored and looking for problems and again those people do exist there's people who are drama queens in every single realm of life you know i've been one in times of my life you know like in different environments but the misconception that people speak out against churches because they purely hate them and they hate everyone in them and they hate all of the people they grew up around is just not true and i would say this like the reason that abuse and i would say even cover up of abuse is traumatic 
you know, like I wasn't specifically abused by the person at our church, but I did feel a sense of trauma over seeing how the leadership covered it up. The reason I felt that trauma is because I trusted, loved, and cared for the leadership of my church. And I I loved, and I still have a lot of fond memories that are filled with love about that place. I don't feel love toward that ministry as it stands now and whatever you know, I don't have any hope for the ministry to really change at this point or the leadership to change how they feel. And the truth has really come out in a lot of ways. But the reason that it hurt so deeply is that I'm seeing the youth pastor I trusted, the pastor I trusted, the youth pastor that I was like a second dad to me. I was seeing my literal dad in a lot of ways disagree with how I was handling the situation. It was drawing dividers in our own family. And then this is at a church that I can't feel safe at now. That was the church where I was learning how to ride my bike for the first time. I was I went to school. All of my best and worst memories were intermingled in one spot. And I think most people that are coming forward and talking about abuse and really the most vehement advocates were the most people that were the most bought in. They're the people that loved Patch the Pirate growing up and they loved singing the songs and they loved the books and the conferences and stuff. And I wish that people would understand that. I have a lot of fun. At, like when I was seeing just the past year, when I was seeing Shelley's posts about Ron Hamilton and talking, there's a lot of that touched me. And like it, it was sad to see because that's a childhood memory that I have. And it's something that I have pleasant memories of. And and I don't want to see anybody go through difficulty like that. I don't want to see people go through pain like that. And I guess that's where I wish people would see that nuances. I'm the most outwardly, let's condemn the wrongdoing, the IFB person ever. I have stopped IFB abuses, my profile photo on the Preacher Boys page. But does that mean I discard all of the good memories and all the happy things and all the, you know, all the people I think were genuinely trying to do their best to help people? No, not at all. And I wish that people like Shelley and people who write posts like that and people who preach sermons like that would see that nuance that's there. Because I think that nuance does exist with many people in the advocacy mm-hmm. world, many people in the survivor community. Like, again, if they were straight up, if if we looked at some of these people and could see them as just, oh, they're villains and we saw it from the beginning, that's a lot easier than going, oh, that was someone I was very close to and loved. That hurt me. That's where a lot of that trauma really comes from. Yeah, yeah, those are such great points of recognizing, like you said, that nuance. And like, it's unfortunate that there are like, really still like horrible people that are really abusers, which you've dealt a lot with that are intermingled in all these different institutions and places and kind of like, you talking about, you know, good things, someone commented, it was actually today, they were like, all you people do is focus on all the negative at Baptist University. You don't notice the good. And it's and to me, like, I, I kind of understand where that person's coming from. But it's, you know, the point is that, yes, some people would say that Bob Jones has done a lot of good things, but it's mm-hmm. like there is still so much harm going on. So we're calling that out. You know, it's surviving Bob Jones University. We're calling out the darkest yeah. parts of it. And I said to this person, I'm like, okay, we know if a wife is in an abusive relationship with her husband and he physically beats her, but he puts food on the table. Does mm-hmm. she just not address that? Does she just happily accept the food and still takes the beatings? Yeah. You know, that abuse needs to stop. And it's been interesting making this podcast because I experienced so much harm at Bob Jones University, but there were also mixed feelings that I was really surprised that came up for me as I recalled some good memories from that place. Yeah, I experienced some good memories there. I also had terrible memories and traumatic and it's really hard to deal with that nuance yeah i was gonna say it makes it it, like i said it makes the worst things worse when you're sitting there and you're going and i know people you know i always think of how people are going to interpret things i know people don't always look for the best in what people are saying but no i'm not even saying all of the things that you experienced that were good came from a genuine place from the people that provided them because that's another layer of the conversation. And it's where you could talk about this for hours is were these good things gaslighting? Were these good things love bombing? Were these, you know, sure, you know, like at the end of the day, your brain can't tell the difference. And so you're sitting there going, it feels really strange. The husband wife example is the perfect example. Like I have this picture that shows sometimes 
through the cracks of this horrible marriage where I'm getting abused and I'm being beaten. And this man that I, you hear it all the time. It's, I don't even know that man. That's not the man I married. And we can debate all day. Was the man you married always that way? Did they change in that way? Did they, and that's a conversation for another day. But for that survivor, they're going, I had at least this picture and this vision of what things could have been. And that life looks beautiful. And so in addition to, ouch, there's physical pain. There's also the mourning of this is what I thought I signed up for. This is the thing I thought we had. And I think for many leaving religious fundamentalism, it's, man, there was this beautiful community. There was this beautiful feeling of belonging. There was a beautiful feeling of purpose. There was a black and white mission. Like we were going to go do this. At Bob Jones, there was really black and white mission, but that's a whole nother, a whole nother point. But you know, there was like this goal and this purpose, and we're all in this together. And there's something powerful to that. And regardless of whether that was Bob Jones love bombing and lying and being deceitful or not, that's a confusing thing that adds another layer of things to work through for people who've been through it. And, you know, yeah, like I said, it's a picture, it's a picture of what could have been that now you're seeing there going like, how do I grapple with that? Oh, I made one of my best friends, you know, I met my wife at the yeah. Christian high school I went to. That's not a bad thing, you know, but it's, mm -hmm. they're not also not responsible for that. It's not yeah. like I'm going to give them the ownership of my marriage for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, that's so true. It's an odd, it's a, it's heavy stuff to work through. And it's why there can be, 280 episodes of Preacher Boys and a mini series about Bob Jones, you know, maybe hint, hint, you know, more in the future. And, yeah, you uh -huh. know, it's why you can talk about this yeah. forever because everyone has a nuanced, crazy experience that only people who are in it can truly understand. And we all have our own version of that yeah. within. It's like looking through a kaleidoscope. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And like, I think. The thing that I'm learning as I make this podcast, and it's not something that I'm able to cover as much because I'm trying to get the totality of just Bob Jones University, but their influence goes way beyond the school. They have all these churches across the U.S. They have all these mm -hmm. other like Christian schools attached to these churches. They have Christian camps. And when I say they, I mean Bob Jones grads who yeah. take the indoctrination with them and run this get organization get that message going. So Bob Jones University's influence is way beyond it. And it's something we haven't been able to cover as much in this series. But like you said, hint, there might be something more in the future with that. I guess something else, I think the last question that I had is what really needs to change in these fundamentalist organizations for all of this rampant abuse to stop happening? That's a real easy question to end off on, right? Let's yeah. solve world hunger at the end, you know? Yeah. So look, separating, because we can get in the weeds on religion. That's something, I don't even know where I sit on religion, so I'm going to remove religion from the equation and just look at organizational operation. Let's just do that because it'll be easier. And if someone's listening who's a pastor or in ministry, you're not going to get, you're not going to discard everything else I say based on this. So purely organizationally speaking, there's a lot of ways I can go with it. So I do think accountability is important. I don't think that's an easy task. We see this with the Southern Baptist Convention. There's a board. There is a governing body over the SBC. And just as much as that can help eliminate abuse, it can also very quickly create a more organized network that protects abusers. So we're seeing that. I think as far as accountability, I think having people who are outside of your denomination overseeing it who have it's like accounting right it's better to have someone who doesn't work within the company looking at the accounting and having an outside person putting eyes on it to see where things might be missing i think that is important in this conversation as well and there's a lot of great organizations that offer those types of services that are non-religious or religious that can audit your systems i think having training about what is abusive how to report you know all that sort of stuff is very helpful. You mentioned grace with Bob Jones. I understand some people have some negative feelings toward grace. I've worked with many people who are connected to grace that have been awesome. But I think like the resources from grace are very helpful. Anything from Boz Chavidian is, you know, there's great playbooks there as far as what to do. So accountability and the training is important. I think beyond that, like on a philosophical level, and this might brush up against some people's religious, you know, whatever, 
I think having outside voices be heard and minority voices heard within the church, I think one of the biggest reasons you're seeing so many young females specifically being abused, and again, I do not want to discount the experience of young men who've been abused within these denominations, but there has been a large amount of young female individuals who have been hurt within the church. And I think a lot of that could be avoided if young women were empowered to have a voice within the church regularly. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to victims who said, I didn't know who would even hear me. I'm not supposed to be talking. Women are supposed to be silent. This is like the man. This is me. You know, regardless what your views on are, if women preachers and all that kind of stuff, like if you're having a a day where you can just hear from survivors and you could have a female survivor come in and speak and share her story and have an opportunity for female survivors to express what happened. I think that could help quite a bit as well. And like just letting them know, Hey, you have a voice in our congregation, I think is huge. As for the IFB as a whole, this is like the age old question. Do you fix it? Do you let it burn to the ground and build something new? I don't know. That's for people who are, I think, are still in the religious environment to decide. I'm not a member of an independent Baptist church, so I don't have as much say so in that. It's just so messed up, man. Like, it's really hard for me to see a situation Mm -hmm. where the movement changes. I think the best decision any pastor could make is to steer their church out away from the movement and either join a denomination that is better, you know, or establish your own with some other like-minded independent Baptist churches. You know, if you know, hey, we stand against abuse and we're not going to partner with a whoever, find the other pastors that are saying that and network and start your own movement. I just, for again, circling back to the beginning of the episode, like for calling themselves independent, they're so stuck in this boys club mentality of I can't you know, this is my speaking gigs. This is my college of choice. This is be independent and find other pastors who are, you know, maybe share similar religious beliefs, but don't share the really nasty beliefs that overlay it. But again, that's why it gets complicated. It's like, I haven't seen many of those pastors that really exist. Like I've seen so, I've seen so many pastors that have reached out to me and I don't want to end this on a dour note, but like I've had so many pastors reach out to me angry and cruel and upset. And then I've had pastors who've reached out who say, I support you, but I won't do it publicly, which to me tells me a lot because they're worried about offending the truly horrible guys in the movement. And I have 1% of those that say, send me whatever resources you can. I want to fix this in my church. And those guys generally are not they don't associate with the movement. Like the movement itself to me is just a, if you're still in it at this point, you're just ignoring the red flags. That's, I don't see many guys where I'm like, oh, he's a good guy. He's just in a bad movement. It's like, you're, you're choosing at this point to stay. You're like perpetuating that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my Mm. answer. I know that's not a happy, fun answer, but the answer is like, there's some things that could happen, but I don't see it happening within these churches as it says mm. there's too many there's too much of a desire to appease the big names in the ifb that really hold down the fort so yeah i mean thank you for giving that answer i know yeah like you said it's not happy but i think it's honest and i think that is what is so powerful about your podcast and about this podcast is that survivors coming forward of this is what is happening yeah this needs to change so i think that's why for me i've always been about speaking up about things or there are power in numbers of people which i think what yep. bothered me about shelly hamilton's post is she's no stay silent the numbers will grow don't let that happen is no if something's going to fall apart when you reveal the truth then it needs to fall apart yeah. most definitely yeah um, well and yeah. Last thing I'll say on that too to the Shelley Hamiltons of the world is like, can we find common ground? Can we find a thing where we can link arms and say, you know, you mentioned like religion, like what that really looks like. And there's some teaching of Jesus. And, but like James 127, like religions pure and undefiled before God is to visit orphans and widow and affliction and to keep yourself unstained from the world. Like in the summary of religion there, in the summary of the religion that Jesus gave, it was like, love others as yourself visit orphans, visit widows, like, like weep with those serve who weep the afflicted. And, oh yeah. Weep with those who weep. And to me, it's like, 
I may not be religious, but I can get behind that aspect of religion. And I will link arms with the Shelley Hamilton and weep with survivors and care for survivors and love on survivors. And you know what? When it comes time Sunday morning and where we go and sit down and gather, you know, she can gather where she wants to gather. I can gather where I can. And we don't have to link arms in that. But this is baseline morality we're talking about. This is not nuance of religion, nuance of spiritual discipline that we experience. Like this is baseline humanity and decency. And can't we all get along and link arms on that cause? And it's baffling to me why we can't. So, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. I've enjoyed this conversation so much. And I'm thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule, I know, to come on here and For people listening, I'll link his podcast in the show notes. Go check out the Preacher Boys podcast and his social media work. But thank you again, Eric, for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It's like a full circle moment because you came on my show like a year ago and you were like just really starting to (laughs) just share your message. Like little baby Andrew was going out into the world and like ready to talk. And now you just had a news article drop today about your podcast and, you know, talking about Bob Jones and hitting an angle that I'm not as familiar with. So, you know, I'm really proud of the work that you're doing and, you know, appreciative of just meeting people like you throughout doing the podcast has been amazing. So Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. That means a lot coming from you. You have no idea. I'm like, you are like the podcaster in my mind. So thank you. <laughs> That's how I feel. That's how I feel with Sarah Smith with the Star Telegram article. I'm like, she's the best. It's like whoever you read, you're like, that person's awesome. But it is it is cool. There's like a yeah. real network. There is this community of people that, yeah. you know, are yeah. all doing the same thing mm-hmm. in their own their own way no one could do it the way you're doing it no one could do it the way i'm doing it Mm -hmm. no one can do it the way ashley's doing it like we all have our own gift and our own angle yeah and and it's interesting because like we all still i think have our own different beliefs but it doesn't matter we all have that common ground and we come together and be on each other's shows and different things like that so i think that's that is the amazing thing about this survivor and like activist community is like seeing people come together to spread their message and bring awareness to these institutions and these dynamics. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Surviving Bob Jones University. It would be greatly appreciated if you could give the podcast a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leaving reviews helps listeners just like you find the show.